0: it's time to down your unders down your unders the frontline gaming network brings to you art of war down Under review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game, hosted by Adam Camilleri.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode thirty-two of the Art of War Down Under podcast. My name's Adam Camilleri. I'm joined by my big brains trust, my Aussie Aussie lads, uh, Jeremy the Marigold. Marigold, hello, mate. How you doing?
2: G'day, mate.
1: I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Oh Jesus! (laughs) Oh man, thanks for being here, man. Very happy, yeah. And uh, Mister Matt Morrisoli, the Plague Hulk himself. How you doing, brother?
3: Uh, Slightly less seedy than my uh, my marigold counterpart over there. Doing pretty well, (laughs) mate. How are you? Uh,
1: pretty good. Like uh, 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 a freshly planted field of wheat is less seedy than that intro by the marigold. Um, but anyway, we are here to talk about ninth edition innovations. With the, the slowed down release schedule from g I'm pulling together my, my boys. I'm going to be doing kind of this, hopefully semi-regularly, maybe same as my stats episodes. We'll start chucking one of these episodes in every month or two. Just kind of as the game progresses, we'll chuck in some more, uh, an episode to really talk about fringe builds, things that are on the cusp of being good, or factions that can do things that other ones can't, as in innovate in different different, and unique ways. And so we're going to be dedicating this episode to that, and that's what this this first part is. For those of you who don't know what Art of War Then Under is, we are a two-part podcast produced lovingly uh, by the Frontline Gaming Network, going live for you guys every Thursday morning at 7 o'clock, and up for patrons over a week early over on our patron site and on the War 40 kcom So if you're all interested in getting the part two of this or getting this content over a week early, please jump over onto those and grab this, log on, give us your support and chuck us a few bucks. It's certainly very, very greatly appreciated. Part two of this episode, we've actually just opened up to the patrons and been like, hey, me, me, myself, Matt Marigold, Mr. Marigold, and Matt Morisoli are going to write lists for our patrons, like fringe builds, things that they've been struggling to make work, or and just concepts that they want to see if they've got any merit. And we're just going to sit here and we're going to write lists for a couple of hours. It's going to be sick because that's something, something that me and these three gentlemen do um, on the regular. Sorry, two gents. But Talking about innovations, guys, I know you both are well-renowned in Australia for your innovations, and possibly in the world now, but Matt, are you able to give us an example of something that you've done that has stood out in the eyes of the masses?
3: Oh, look, there, there, there's a couple, but I, I think, at least locally, one of the most, uh, uh, I, I guess one of the biggest ones was the, the Plague Hulk summon at Ratcon um, <laughs> in 2019. Uh, for, for those who don't know, the Plague Hulk is now legended. Uh, but it's essentially a Nurgle Soul Grinder with a worse gun. Uh, it fights worse. It's 40 points more expensive, um, and it's basically worse than a, a Soul Grinder in every way. The only time when it's not, as I found out, is against Death Watch because it's tough for the and all the bolters wounded
1: on sixes. So this is when they had the two-plus poison bolters, yeah?
3: That's right. So this is the old Death Watch. Uh, we're talking, you know, uh, yeah, seventh, ed, uh, sorry, yeah, so, yeah, 7th dead, dead Death, that's right, 8th Dead Death Watch <laughs> Oh god, yeah um, But ba- basically uh, I had an army that died very very quickly To Death Watch And uh, as I found out uh, These uh, this Soul Grinder Plague Hulk thing Just lived forever um, It was just super mm. super tough, super tanky um, And that one was something that I don't think anyone saw coming It's, just, like, it's considered to be a bad unit But uh, sometimes bad units Are good
1: and that's pretty much what we're here to talk about. And so that was a perfect example there by Matt. And for those who are interested in that game, I think I think that that actual thing is clipped when you summon that play and put on the table. It's a clip over on uh, the Art of War down under Twitch channel if anyone wants to go check that out. Because it blew everyone's minds. Um I knew you had one on you and I was like, There's no way he's summoning a play There's no way. He's got furies, he's got <clears throat> he's got flamers, he's got demon princes he can summon, and he chucks down a Goddamn soul grinder, and it blew everyone's brains. but mr. marigold, what's what's something that uh, that you feel like you innovated with? or what's an example of uh, yourself as an innovator? Um
2: well, I think uh, my probably most, I guess uh, innovation I'm most proud of, which most people will, or know at this point, is the I was the Australian innovator of the uh, you know unari list as of the early 8th edition unari list. Um, that eventually hmm. I took to Cancon and won that year. But that same very weekend, Nick Nanavati took down the LVO with it. So I guess Nick gets the the majority of the mainstream credit. But a little interesting piece of trivia for those people that that are interested to know is that I actually submitted that list like to the tournament. We had to submit our list a week in advance. So I had submitted that list a week before. So I'm taking credit for it. Obviously. Uh, Nick <laughs> Navadi got some hackers to hack the uh, down the down the <laughs> list submission box or whatever it was submitted to, and got the list. But nonetheless, um, that was something I cooked up, and obviously a lot of brains were cooking that up simultaneously. But I cooked that up over. I was on a holiday um, before the CanCon, so this was you know probably around November that year, and I mm-hmm. just remember like taking the Elder Codex with me up to Queensland, and I was with my family, and I was just I just remember just slowly at marinating and me taking notes and writing lists. And eventually, I just kind of like settled on this list. And I remember thinking, because I had wasn't playing many games at that point, I'd taken a bit of a break from 40K. And I just remember thinking, this seems good. Like, you can soul burst in the movement phase. We can soul burst in the shooting phase. You can soul burst in the psychic phase. You can soul burst in the combat phase. And it just felt really, really strong. And then I took it to that event, and I actually hadn't played any practice games with it. Um, and and literally started playing at that event. And it just absolutely went off Um, and was absolutely nuts. And I remember just people didn't know what it did. So people didn't know about the same Han kind of stratagem to advance and charge. People didn't know about how good the Reapers were. Although people did know about the Reapers because um, just for people that are interested and and that want to trip down memory lane, back then um, it was common for people to run lots of Reapers and Serpents but the, it was the Shining Spears mm. that were a bit of the innovation, um, and that was something that was quite fresh and quite new. So um, the Reapers were known, a known quantity, that when you add in those Shining Spears that could move in, um, pop a strategy to advance and charge, and then they could kill something and fight twice with the Soul Burst, it was just absolutely devastating. And because it was so new, and I'm sure that the American boys that played it at the LVO felt realized it as well, People just didn't have any idea of how to play against it. They didn't know how to screen for it. They didn't know what it could do. And I was just regularly on turn one, just soul bursting across and killing, you know, half the opponent's army in one turn. And it was it was, yeah, man. Know, um,
1: well, I, was I was on the receiving end. <laughs> I was on the receiving end that year. I ended up yeah playing with my bane blades and it was not a good time. Couldn't roll a six. Could not roll a single six. Because uh, actually everything in that army was minus two or not, if not minus three to hit, and it was just absolutely obnoxious. But yeah, that, that certainly that is absolutely one of yours. And it's interesting to note that um one of the the histories of Cancon is that the the Cancon champion is usually like either the predecessor or the same time as the LVO champion. And for kind of three or four years in a row, it was the same list that won, kind of isolated from each other. I think the first time we noticed it was uh, when you won Cancon with the Barkstar. And, oh, oh, no, sorry, because um, Grant didn't win. It. He, came, he was the, the runner-up that year against um, Mr. Perkins uh, running his Star, And then the, the following year was the, the Shining Spears and the following year after that. Um, I can't remember if it was, no, no, sorry, the following year after that was Eric. But uh, then the year this year um, was Broviathan at LVO and it was Chris Wright running essentially a very similar list here at, um, uh, in Australia. Then they were c- developed completely in isolation from each other, weren't they?
2: Yeah, well, that's the thing. Um, and it's interesting. It's just, as you said, the timing's pretty, uh, always very similar. So um, it, you often do see certain ideas coalescing, but what's obviously sometimes interesting as well when they, is when mm-hmm. they diverge. And when we see certain things such as like Eric's Gaunt's um, win when CanCon when they weren't really being played at, at, in America at that time. So
1: um, really interesting for sure. Exactly right yeah, I suppose that's something we're going to touch on as well. Like the different cultures that promote innovation, maybe possibly more than others. Why that might be the case, is that better? Is that worse, et cetera, et cetera. First thing we're going to talk about here is, um I'll hit this over to Mr. Morisoli, What are the things when you where what are the times and when should you innovate, and when should you just go with the power?
3: Uh, so for me, I, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but normally it comes down to having, a certain problem in a list that I can't solve with a conventional means.
1: So, you yeah, want to give an example?
3: Um, oh, I'm just trying to think of one that's somewhat like re- recently relevant. I, I, I suppose. Uh, I, I, okay, okay. So, for those who don't know, I do some coaching for the Art of War, and I write lists for people and bits and pieces like that. And I recently had someone who wanted a a word bearers army done. And a lot of the Chaos Space Marine lists I've been writing for people are using Empress Children because I think Empress Children are are super strong at the moment, but he didn't Mm -hmm. want any of that. Uh, So I I took the – he wanted demons. I took the core of the Slaanesh Keepers with some other bits and pieces, but then I couldn't really get the same sort of, uh, you know, raw power that the Empress Children Terminators bring to the list. And it sort of needed something like that. Um, So we ended up taking this really, really weird combination of a – a demon prince with uh, the malefic tome, a wordbearer's exalted champion with the, uh, the Ashen Axe. And then this core of of like these, these MSU things like more offense and possessed and other units that are all sort of, you know, mid strength. But when they're given the locus of swiftness from, uh, from the keepers, they just become a lot more valuable. Mm -hmm. And all of these characters together kind of provide the same level of offensive output as you get from, uh, you know, like like just taking the raw power. So I think it comes down to it, 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 not so much choosing not to play the raw power, but it's more that if you have a specific problem uh, that you can't solve. But I, another one is um, like the the tally for example. So taking the tally man in a chaos list that otherwise really really struggles for CP uh, is a really great way to uh, to you know to fix that problem. And you might normally look at your list and just say, "Well, I need to cut a detachment here because I'm just." three patrols, it's too many, you know, it's too much CP with all my yeah. pre-game stuff. But instead of just uh, of doing that, finding ways to bring uh, a bit of alternative thinking into how you solve the problem in, uh, I think is really, really powerful.
1: Mm, that's a good one, alternative thinking, I suppose, uh, getting off the the beaten, tr- getting onto the beaten track, so to speak. Because, yeah, like you said, you, you just had a thought exercise there where you had a client who didn't want to take the raw straight line linear power of the Dempestrued and Terminators, but you were able to find a way to get a similar strength from alternative units so hitting over to jeremy for the same question what when you uh, i suppose you're, you're a great one for analyzing the meta you're a great one for predicting what thing, what people are going to play and where you need to pivot to um is there a specific kind of circumstance or something you see in the meta that leans you a certain way when you want to innovate um
2: well i i feel like it, I, I always try to innovate in the events in which um you know the the, the, the i don't know what you would call them like you, let's call them the uh, the big events, like the circuit-style events, like the LVO style events, the SoCal Open, you know, the, like Bay Area Open, whatever the... the In Australia, events, yeah. there'd be things like Terracon, uh, things like CanCon, uh, ATC, et cetera, et cetera. The really big events that really that I really come out for, those events, I feel like you have to innovate. And um, the reason is mm. just kind of like a Sun Tzu type of thing, like you know, speaking of Art of War, like the whole where Sun Tzu (laughs) says, um, you know, like basically to fight when your enemy thinks you're weak and to not fight when your enemy thinks you're strong. So the idea is to innovate to the point where your enemy can't perceive the strength of your list. So you you know your list is strong. You know the things you have are are broken, but your opponent doesn't know that yet because it's new. But like, for example, Mm -hmm. the newest example would be um, the Empress Children Terminators that we're now seeing pretty much in every separate, like in Australia anyway, we're seeing like three or four or five lists per tournament with these like slotted in one to two units of Empress Children Terminators to use the, um, the stratagem to auto charge pretty much. But th- there's all, there's yeah. obviously so much power there, but when we were working on that list to, and we put it in our team list for the Gladiator uh, gaming team event, which was, we, we couldn't end up going to because of COVID um, lockdown. But that was a list that people didn't re- quite realize how good those Terminators were when we put them in. Uh, a lot of people were kind of saying, mm. oh, they're, they're pretty good. Um, they seem good. Yeah, they are good. But within a month, like, we're, they've just exploded in popularity. Um, Matt won upright. Yeah, they did go they're down
3: fifty-five points for the unit. Yeah, right? they did. Oh, 60 points. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Sorry, they yeah, went down sixty. Yeah. Actually, the, point, the, the point point is,
2: is that like, um, the 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 you know, I'm not saying Matt that you you would didn't take them yourself. I'm just saying that like that's a kind of unit that when your opponent doesn't know how good they are, um, that they're really strong. But when your opponent knows to prepare for them, then they can start counter like including counterplay in their list, so they could say. Oh, if yeah. my opponent has this, I have this. But if they don't even know that it exists or that it might be good, then they don't have that capability for counterplay. So that's the advantage of innovation. So
1: you're saying you, 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 you innovate for a knowledge disparity, for a, to, to create unknown elements that your opponent doesn't have the exactly, ability to yep. adapt to. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's other ways. I mean, what Solly was just saying, he was saying he had a, uh, that's actually awesome. You guys have described that in that way because Solly was saying he has a specific problem he wants to solve, um, as in I need to be able to take care of this and therefore I need to pull in different assets and different resources and able to get to that result. And then Jeremy is saying, hey, I need to stay ahead of the meta. So I need to be constantly um, creating problems for my opponents to answer. And so I feel like it's awesome that you both came at that in a different way. But is there are there any other ways to innovate that you guys can see or any other reasons to?
3: Look, I, I think these two are the, the biggest ones, right? The other one is just uh, when you're playing in a meta that is a known quantity. So you're playing in a meta where you sort of know what everyone else is going to be playing. Um, you got a pretty good idea about who's going to be at this event. You know, it, 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 it's... It, I, I, I guess you can look for, again, it's, it's what I was saying before, creative solutions to, uh, to problems... For for example, kind, kind of like oh, well, I know this player is going to be at this event, and he plays this army, and this army is very strong. Uh, it's kind of like yeah. how do I meta for Dark Angels now without just taking Dark Angels? Uh, yep, that's I was what happens. Sure the- right. As each each book comes out, you know there are these new problems that are created for uh, you know, for each um, you know, for each army. Like you said, a lot of, a lot of armies are struggling with Dark Angels. That's a that's a thing right now, uh, and so everyone's looking for ways to uh. You know, to, to to bring some anti-dark angels tech into their army, and that's again how the meta evolves. Innovations are innovations until they just become mm-hmm. the meta. Um, yep. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I think it's it's one of those things where when a new really powerful release comes out, that's when you kind of are, are forced to innovate. I suppose. There's
2: one more reason as well, which is um, this kind of like leans in a little bit a little bit into poker game theory, um, where in in poker it's really important to be unpredictable. Um, if you're, you know, people that are successful poker Mm. players, even though they might be like uh, a tight, aggressive player that really only really goes in on good hands, um, they need to sometimes play loose and show weaker hands that they're playing weaker hands because they need their opponents to believe that they could be playing trash. So to, to put that analogy into 40 K, if you're one of the sharks at the 40 K table, um, and you might be in a small local meta that people know you're the you're the opponent to beat, you can't let them know what you're going to be playing. They can't just say, oh, I know that Jackson's going to be playing BattleBots or I know that you know uh, Robert's going to be playing um, Eldar Flyers. You need to be really creative and pivot. And if you're always pivoting creatively to new things, then they can never predict what you're going to be on. And because they can't predict, they don't even try to. And then if they're not even trying to predict what you're doing, then they're never going to have an up up on you. Whereas if you're static and you're stationary, then they will be able to respond to you. So um, the advantage, but but having said that, even if you are playing the same list as last event, if you've got the perception that you might be constantly innovating, then even if you turn up with like Eldar Flyers, but they know that you're always innovating and always running random stuff, then they might not even bother countering Eldar Flyers in the next tournament because they might think, well, he could be running anything. He could be running Tower, he could be running Eldar, he could be running Dark Angels. They, they won't bother in over-investing against your most recent thing. Then you turn up with those Eldar Flyers two tournaments in a row, but because you have that perception of always being fluidly moving, they won't have actually countered you the same way they would have countered someone else.
1: Yeah, yep. no, that, that's a great example. Um, now, even if you are not the guy to chase and i suppose that that's what we're talking about here if you if you are in a position where people want to be trying to chase you down you always want to be adapting anyway because you never want to be even if you are any any sort of competitive game, you never want to get stale and i can tell you that's somebody who who got stale and i i missed a a big one of my own big brass rings because i got too predictable but um I think those are both great points. Now, the next point I have here on that front sheet is a bit of a funny one. I'm going to flip this over to Matt. What is the difference between an innovation and trying to be a special snowflake?
3: Uh, well, um, this is funny for those who don't know because I call Adam out for being a special snowflake all the time. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, so, it's painful.
3: Uh, look, so I I think there is, there, there is innovation and then there's putting a unit in the army because you like the unit or it's putting the unit in the army because, you know, f- for whatever reason, because you think that playing something that no one else is playing uh, is better than it actually is. I'm, I'm sort of lo- lo- losing the, the right term for what I'm trying to say here. Uh, I, I think the difference is you're doing it to be different and you're not doing it to improve your list. Uh,
1: yes, I think that's it's very well said. Um, and it's exactly and, yeah. exactly the point I, I wanted there's to make. Also,
3: there's also nothing wrong with that. There's also nothing wrong with wanting to play stuff that's different to everybody else. Um, but at the same time, you don't get to call yourself an innovator because you ran, you know, 30 Warp <laughs> Talons. Um, because, you know, 30 Warp Talons, you know, A, isn't solving a problem. B, uh, isn't... <laughs> it might be unpredictable to Jeremy's point, but I don't think it's very good. Um, and... Uh, and see it, it it it's not answering something in the meta. I I, I don't see what, what in the world comes out that 30 watt talons is an answer for. Um but yeah, I, I think it's more just about uh about making sure you put stuff in your army for the right reasons. Um, mm. and yeah, I like just, to
1: Sorry. I like to go. joke I like to joke in my head that it's just a matter of history. Like, you know, we look back at the great inventors like Tesla and Edison and stuff. And we think about the amazing things that they created, but we don't think about all the dud stuff they probably tried to create and failed. And um, I often, I, that's what I aspire to be when I innovate with all this little special snowflake crap. I just chuck weird, weird, wonky stuff in that I think might have this fringe use in this one little place in time. And it turned out to be an absolute dud. And I either get ridiculed or I get praised, depending on how, how well I picked a, a certain spot. But Jez, have you got anything well, to Well, I on think the
2: point? just to put it in like a, an analytical, like a, a mathematical kind of, um, way of looking at it it's just like when you take something that's creative and innovative and new then it's got a certain value that's added to it because of its its newness it's its novelty like the fact that it's new it's gaining this value from the fact that people don't know exactly what it does or they've never played against it before you know etc etc however if the value added to it from being new still doesn't make it higher value than existing things in the meta that's and that's what Matt was alluding to when he's talking about the Raptors. So even though it's new and fresh and it's got some tricks, if that the value of the unit still isn't higher than th- than just taking a normal theme, then you know then it's not then you're a special snowflake. Then you're actually not the innovation is not adding value to your list. It's actually detracting value. So an example could be you know yeah. you were going to take a list that was like a bunch of. Um, I don't know, like let's say you're taking like a bunch of guard tanks, like indirect manticores and wyverns, and some tank commanders, but then you decide to go down the route, the route of taking like all the fire tanks, like the um hellhound style thing. Yes, the hellhounds might be interesting yeah. and novel, and no one's has it, you know, no one's used to versing mass flamers in the modern meta. That might be the case. So even though your list is innovative, it's still not as strong as just, you know, um, Full payload manticores and tank commanders. So even though you gain some value of the novelty, you're still a weaker list than if you'd just done the normal thing.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's really what you what you want to weigh up. I think you both said it pretty well. Now you have to weigh up the innovation versus the power. What you what you're gaining versus what you're losing. And I think you both, and and I'm I'm a proponent of this as well. You look at how powerful, you, how much power you're getting from just taking the linear easy thing. like I suppose that's what, what Matt usually ridicules me for. I have a powerful option and I skew that for an unknown option when that unknown option is like less than 50% of the power of the actual option, but I believe that the unknown factor will let me bridge the gap between the power between the two choices. Does that make sense? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I think Jeremy's articulated this a little bit better than, than I did. I, I guess in my WAP talent example, what I should probably have said is that you'd pick the warp Talons over the Terminators, which for the same price, shoot and do other things. Um, and I think Jeremy's articulated that a little bit better there because you're right, you, you have to actually, your innovation has to add value for it to be an innovation. I think that's probably the key point we missed earlier mm. when we were discussing sort of what makes an innovation an innovation. And if it doesn't add value, it, I, don't, I don't think it's an innovation.
1: Yeah, well, so the, here's the interesting t- topic. So we've been talking pretty much about things that already have power. What if we talked, what if we talked about innovating with things that aren't strong? Like, if factions that have very little strength to them whatsoever, and we talk about interverging within within those factions, within that space, does that change the metrics? Does that change what we define?
3: Well, I think you're still trying to do the same thing, right? You're still either trying to find a solution for a problem, you're trying to counter something new in the meta, or you're trying to, you know, bring something that's a surprise to the table. And I think regardless of how strong your book is, you know, it, it, every book has strong and weak options. Even the worst books have, you know, have good options in them. Um, and. Regardless, yeah, regardless of the book strength, you you've got to sort of be doing one of those things, I think, for it to you know to to be an effective way to you know to to innovate and to you know, to make your list better.
1: Mm. Not totally fair enough. Moving on then. so where do, where do you go to so when you guys want to innovate, when you guys want to do something new or do something fresh, or you look to a problem, where do you go to find a solution? Obviously, your codex, but where in a codex do you go? Do you look for tech pieces first? like do you look for wall of traits or fringe? relics first or you just look straight for unit options do you look at detachments do you look at um do you look at their list do you look at the list you got the problem with and just analyze every single piece of that in, in inside and out where do you go first and where do you start
3: i'm glad you clarified there because when you said where do you go i was about to say my
1: work toilet <laughs> 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 well dude i do in the shower like in uh, the shower, i need to stop you right there no okay That's good, <laughs> okay
2: all right um So
3: I I think this comes down a bit to player skill as well. And I I think Jeremy will agree with me on this. There's no real way to define it, but I think when you've been playing this game for a long time and at a high level for a long time, you can look at something and you can know that it's good. Um, And when you revisit units you haven't looked at in the past, uh, you can... You can go back and you can be like, well, I didn't used to think this is good, but now I see that it does this, this, and this, and right now this is my problem. So this unit is good. So a good example of this is the um, the Chaos Contemptor Dread. Now I think the Chaos yep. Contemptor Dread is a pretty pretty crappy unit to be honest. So I, I don't think it's a very a very good unit. But I've been uh, you know writing Death Guard lists and playing some games with Death Guard, and there are some interesting stacking combos you can do with Death Guard at the moment that make the uh, the Chaos Contemptor Dread. Um, an interesting choice. So you can make it an oxerable. You can get it, give it minus one AP. You can give it basically hit on twos with rerolls, rolls which is, you know, a really, really you know powerful thing to be able to do with a a model that shoots those, those Volkite cannons, those mortal wound guns. And in the past, I would have looked at that and I would have said, oh, look, it's AP zero. It's not really very good. Um, you know, it's sort of a, a thing I'd leave on the board, but in the current meta where there are things like, um, like custodes causing problems, like even, you know, Grey Knight Knight units, like surprisingly Grey Knights coming into the meta, which is a bit of a a weird thing to see happen. But one-wing Space Marines um, coming back into the meta, it's like, well, actually, uh, you know, actually here, these Mortal Wound Guns are pretty good. So I think it comes down to this, you know, being able to look at something and just say, oh, I actually just know this unit is good. Because I can see the ways where it solves my problem uh, that I'm, you know, that, that, that I'm trying to find an answer to. So I normally just open up Battle Scribe and I'll chuck every unit from a slot in and I'll just go through and I'll read them. Um, if I see anything I like, I'll go, I'll, I'll pull the codex out and I'll have a proper read over, you know, exactly what the unit does to make sure Battle Scribe's not wrong, as it so often is, and then sort of go from there and just play with lists and see what fits in and you know what I've got to sort of lose to uh, you know, to bring this new you know, innovative unit into the army. Um, that's kind of my process.
1: No, great example, man. And Jeremy, what's yours? Please don't don't you know insult our intelligence to say you actually read a codex. No, I've never <laughs> heard of what what is a codex. <laughs> yeah, um, so, so there's a couple of ways. So the first way I think um, to build on what
2: Matt was saying, because I mean, obviously we've all had long conversations about that that contempted dreadnought. But I remember when I was writing death guard lists, the reason why I really liked that dreadnought um, that Matt was talking about is because the lists that we were writing had all of the force multipliers that we, that you would want like for the dreadnought already in the list. So that specific, already, sp- yeah, that specific yeah. death guard list had like a demon prince for reroll ones. It had the, um the, what was it? Italian Italian man. For plus one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man for plus then one. He's yeah. also the guy that would hold the relic that gives exploding sixes to hit. And then, you know, like th- the fact that, and we were already gonna have inexorable, we were already gonna potentially have units going forward to actually proc the inexorable neg one. So it was like, wait a second, we already have everything in the list that supports this thing. So we're not, like, we're not pivoting out of the, the, the original core source of power to gain this, this extra unit. So when we realized that, like, I think we all kind of came, I was initially very high on it, but then Matt kind of was like, yeah, this is actually good. Because it, it isn't an overextension. It's just like yes, it's a somewhat expensive dreadnought, but all of the, the buffs that mm. you want are already in the list. So that's a, that's a way you can be creative without sacrificing too much. Um, so that's definitely something you can do. You just look at your list and see, you know, what 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 um, kind of force multipliers are already there. What what would benefit from the skeleton of the list I already have. Um, but another way to be creative, which is something I tend to really try to do, and I know it, it's a very, I mean, everyone would really like to do this as well. It's, it's something we all love. Is just like, you know, trawling through old codexes or new codexes or new releases, just looking for things that seem broken. And, you know, like I'm trying to think, okay, I really, this is a really good example that um, I'm not going to steal your thunder, Adam. But like, I really, I really, one, I remember seeing, I remember I was actually, it's so funny because I was on your toilet. And um, I was reading the Black Templars <laughs> Codex one random night, was it at was your place? And I was like, what the hell is this devout yeah. push thing, stratagem for Black Templars? Mm. This is ridiculous. Like what the hell? Like, and, and no one had ever run Black Templar. I hadn't seen anyone run Black Templars. I just saw that stratagem. And I was like, that seems absolutely broken. That seems so busted. And I kind of closed the book, came out, made a few comments about Black Templars and just forgot about it, you know. And then lo and behold, at Uprising, um, Luke Pierce was actually running uh, the Black Templars with the Devout Push um, stratagem. And that was awesome. And then we all talked about how strong that list was. And, and even now, to be honest, and I, I, you know, I, I know that it's cool for your listeners to kind of get top of the meta stuff. So I actually think that hasn't been explored properly yet. I think Devout Push actually hasn't hit the meta the way it should and I actually think that at some point soon mm. it will because it's such a broken stratagem. You just look at it. You look what it does. It breaks the way the game works. It totally changes the way things that can't do things like disembark from a transport and charge. You can do that. Um, you can move an impulse or disembark and actually get into combat. It's so broken. You can use it like a fire yep. and fade to, to get down from a level of ruins onto the ground. And that's something that just that single stratagem on its own can warp the meta through creative use.
1: Yeah, dude, it's like a it's like a soulburst enabler. It's not quite as powerful as soulburst, but you you look for things like that that change the way your army operates, or they can um, take something that would be a fringe build and become a, a mainstream, like cornerstone core concept. Like, because you, you just create a black templars build that just leverages that just leverages that that just leverages and uses that every single turn, turn in turn out, and um, all of a sudden you, you've got an archetype. And that's how archetypes really come about. You build a a core of a list and a core concept around something that's strong or integral to how you want a list to function. And then bang, bada bing, bada boom, you've got an archetype. But then it's about innovating tech into it, innovating options, innovating ways and means for it to work and excel in what it wants to do. I suppose my example, the example I was going to give, um, I totally forgot to mention, I suppose was um, when I when I simply just chucked Talon masters behind Bulgrin. Um So for those of you who don't know, The last Dark Angels Codex, not this one, the last one, which was, like I think, maybe nine months into 8th edition, was pretty weak. It was really quite weak, but it did have Talon Masters in it. And Talon Masters were insane if you could leverage the fact that you couldn't target them. And I was playing guard. I was just guard, 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 nothing but nonstop guard. And I decided I wanted to play... it's funny. I just finished playing Black Templars. I was back in guard for about six months, and then I started playing Dark Angels. And I just one day, I was just I was just mucking around playing a practice game, and I decided to chuck two in into the lulls and realized uh, these guys are never going to get shot. <laughs> They're not going to get shot once, and and they didn't get shot at once in an entire GT that I ended up taking them to and doing very well at. And um, yeah, it and, and then you added into that when the the um, the psychic awakening came out and they got to leave the protection of the Bulgrin, shoot something. Charge something, kill something, and bounce back behind the bullgren after they'd attacked. And it just, it was just like, then all of a sudden I had that like devout push, soul ish enabler just to take the archetype to the next level. Yeah, that's a good, good example. On that note, we will take a commercial break. And our commercial break for today is talking a little bit about some more amazing stuff from Frontline Gaming and the Frontline Gaming Network. The marketing message for today is about a secondhand shop sale that are going to be running through their eBay store from the 3rd of March to the 10th of March. So um, hopefully this uh, comes out in time to make this relevant. The selling points are uh, great deals on pre-owned model, some fully painted, some assembled, some new in box. The customers can exchange models for either cash or larger amounts of store credit, which can be used on a web store for new items or as credit towards a paint commission with the Frontline Gaming Studio. So please jump over to the uh, Frontline Gaming E secondhand stop, store, which you can find on frontlinegaming.org. On top of that, please support Frontline Gaming. They are one of our great, great supporters of this show. They are lovingly enough to let us be on their network. And on top of that, they are one of the, the greatest supporters of our community. Um, and I'm not sure where our community would be without them. They really are the guys who picked up the ball when it was dropped by G-Dub kind of in sixth edition. And man, well, I think we can all say that we would be many, many years behind what we what the community is right now without them. So please jump over there, support them and yeah, get involved with some of the great sales and deals that they have going. Yeah, yeah. All right, back to it guys. So what are some fraction what are some factions that you guys can think of that are in a strong position to innovate right now?
3: Um, okay first, I, I, I think Tyranids, actually. I think um, they've been out of the meta for Ooh. a long time. I think that there is Still a lot of power in the book. Um, I know we saw it at Uprising very slightly. There are a couple of Tyranid players that did quite well. Mm. I think that the old way of playing Tyranids is not good, but I think that there's a lot of unexplored power in the Tyranid book. I, I, I'm not personally sure exactly what the new meta Tyranid list looks like, but I think there are so many good options in that book. Uh that the first person who cracks it will probably win a pretty big GT with that NID list. Well, uh,
1: I can I don't, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but literally yesterday John Lennon won a a, a largish GT in Florida using a, two, a pure 2 nids list.
3: There you go. I, I didn't know that, but there,
1: there you go. <laughs> that's hilarious. It's um. So right now the the list that's getting thrown around has two Dymacarons in it has Swarm Lord. So it's essentially like, think you think guys remember Kraken Steelers? Yeah. Like They'd have two, the two 20-man Steeler Bricks. Replace the Steelers with Diamond Kerons, which is like the forge world. Essentially, they look like the Alien Queen. They um And they sling them across the board. They get 18 wounds, toughness, seven. Um, they can get a five-up, feel no pain, and they they just they just numb. They just smash your face in. And so double move those with the Swarm Lord, then the Swarm Lord sends himself in. And then they just got like XOs Hive Guard, or maybe double Hive Guard, um, And a bunch of tech. And then devaragons have come back into vogue. Like, so... Yeah, 20 or 30 devourable gaunts coming in from reserve um, to do a lot of zoning. So they're, they're a really great piece for denying scramblers in a lot of cases. On top of that, they kill a lot of uh, oppositions like obsec units, like their little backfield um, objective holders and stuff like that and just come on and dunk on them. So that's kind of a list that's getting thrown around right now. But, dude, spot on. <laughs> the fact that you didn't even know that was a thing and you came to it kind of shows a bit of calibre there. But, uh, Jez, can you think of another... Faction on the fringe, or one that's well poised.
2: um I think him. well, I think that so that was a really good um good pick. I, I would have picked the same to be honest if I had the first shot in. And I would just to add to to Matt's um point, I also think that uh, GSC in small sprinkle, I don't know if his list had GSC, but a really small sprinkle of forearmed emperor, uh, like a little patrol just for the vect, um like a play, you know the, the vect yep. as well as just like a little a combat bomb. Um, and something like just, just the power of the, the patriarch psychic powers could just could justified yeah, well in there.
1: Man, I actually agree with that uh, um, entirely. If, I, I'm not sure if you need another melee hammer unit in that list, but there probably is another archetype that does. And what I like there is uh, the second flight last, the mass hypnosis, um, adding that into with paroxysm. So you've got two sources of fight last. I mean, you can really just start getting cavalier. Especially when you've got psychers and they don't, you can just you can do some really silly stuff where you you know oh, everything fights last, and I'm going to do five five different charges this turn, and you can't do anything about it. That kind of stuff feels really powerful. Also, GSC, on top of that, yeah, like you said, the innovation bringing the vect that list, bringing the 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 nice strat or element. And on top of that, they have the three inch deep strike, which is absolutely phenomenal for stealing objectives. Yeah, but in terms of um a totally new faction to, to innovate
2: with, I think I mean it's it's hard because a lot of the ones that uh, like pulled at my mind things like Custodes and AdMech you wouldn't you wouldn't really say that then they're already very much in the meta game. So in terms of something that that's not really in the meta that might be able to go into the meta, I would um say things like Imperial Knights. Um I know that uh, like and when I say Imperial Knights, I don't necessarily mean uh, like mono Imperial Knights. I just pure. mean like the Castellan, yeah. I actually think, is in a really good space at the moment, um primarily because it is very powerful at reaching out and dealing with uh, people's like long range while we stand targets that they might pick and have just backfield kind of somewhat protected, um and they might reveal it just like a little bit. like I know I was doing it on the weekend with some of my units. I was revealing um unit of like my units of retributors, which were my while we stands. But then when people pegged, you know, pegged off a few models, then I would just, that would be hidden. So then they wouldn't be able to complete, uh, continue to shoot at them. Whereas something like, a, um, a, you know, Castellan can fire so much in one volley that it can actually obliterate and really threaten while we stands. Um, It also has the missiles, like the out of line of sight. um, Missiles that like while they're obviously, you know, you'd be very reluctant to spend the CP on them just, for no reason, but they're, they're a threat that really is quite powerful as well. Um, and I just think that the cost is quite good. They're, they're quite competitively costed again. And I think they're down to six eighty again. Um, so yep. I think they're less than that, aren't they? I think I yeah, thought six thirty-five.
3: They're they're pretty cheap, honestly. Yeah,
2: yeah. For I, I think Castellan lists that like just like fell out of the meta, obviously, like we remember the old days of like the guard blood angel Castellan. I think yeah. that, like, to be honest, there's a lot of merit to just them coming back in. Um and you know I, even though it obviously costs premium cp to, to pull one in they're really powerful and that that warlord trait to what's it called um the one that lets you generate more extra dice to to um called called yeah cold, cold eradication. eradication is a real game changer um because it really does especially the volcano lance like the volcano lance which is typically really vulnerable to just, like, rolling a one and you're like, oh, you know, I rolled a one plus. Yeah. When you can roll two two dice and pick the highest, that's so good for that. Um, so I, I think, mm. like, you know, a, a Castellan, whether it is Raven or whether it's, um, you know, you, you just can go Tyrannus for, for more power, for more survivability, I actually think that, that there's room for lists to, to pull back in with a Castellan. And obviously probably some people are rocking them at the moment and, and kudos to those dudes or, or gals but um I think they deserve a bit more space to be honest in the meta.
1: yeah dude and um, great point there with the knights I think they uh, I think imperium has a lot more so I'll, I'll say it in, in a different way um, because of how powerful Marines have been it's and, and how good I suppose Custodians have been in ADMEC, it's pulled a lot of the air out of the imperial soup it's put a lot of air out of the um, people looking to innovate within the sphere of the uh, the imperium super faction whereas chaos has just been continuing to push the envelope Every every single like couple of months, um, even with COVID happening, we're seeing kind of new things come out. If, if, when it first came out, it was like, oh, just as many greater demons as you could take. Oh, and then it was just Beasts of Nurgle and mass, And then it was like, oh, a bit of whatever TJ's doing and now whatever whatever Matt's doing. And yeah, there's, there's kind of differences. There's no one homogenous, uh, one-size-fits-all chaos build. And I suppose that's something that I'd like to see um, across the board um, translated into more of the Imperium Sphere as well. I suppose... We're starting to see a bit with Dark Elder. Like Dark Elder is having a, a little baby re- renaissance um, off the back of things like JT McDowell's list. Uh, even uh, with, I was in a Teams event with Jeremy this weekend, just gone. We sat down and we just like, let's just make the most ridiculous uh, Dark Elder list that could never not get a bunch of points, you know? And we made something that was, Legit, and would never not get a bunch of points. It was actually crazy. Like in in incompetent hands, it was just going to go out and just score and score and score and score and score and and die and die and die. But score and score and score. And it was a it was really cool exercise. But I do think um things like just just the imperial soup. So the things that don't have doctrines or don't have so take all the space marines out of the equation. Things like guard knights, custodes, great maybe grey knights if you want to break your your things. Inquisition, there's a hell of a lot to explore with uh, Inquisition tech pieces. There's a, a myriad of things to, that can be exploited there with Drac- um, Draxus for fights last, Clex Assassins fight last, um, Calidus Assassins to bust your opponent's um, CP wide open. Like getting um, two turns of the game of Reign of Mayhem is such a big deal now. That's uh, you know over almost half the game, being able to just mess with their opponent and their expenditure. Uh, I think there's a hell of a lot more to be explored there. But the one I kind of wanted to talk about was Eldari Soup. And I want to hit it over to Matt because I think you are on the cusp of this. You are a quite a well-renowned Dark Eldar player. But where do you think the Eldari Soup faction is at? Is there much innovation to be had in that in that sphere?
3: I think Craftworlds is just in a really, really awful space. And it's kind of the base for these Eldar Soup lists to come about. I, th- I think Harlequins are so strong at the moment uh, that there sort of isn't any reason to not play Harlequins or Drakari. I think that um, kind of like the way that demons are so important in a lot of these Chaos Superlists, lists, um, Craft worlds are so, so important in uh yeah in the Eldar soup lists. And I think until Craft worlds just become, you know, I, I don't know how much better they need to be, but that they they need something to really bring these units up to scratch uh, before the Eldar super faction can start coming out with these really really powerful Superlists lists like they used to have. Um, back in the day, there were heaps of great combos of Dark Eldar and Craftworlds, and even throwing Harlequin characters in there in bits and pieces. Yeah, and Harlequins as a faction used to be pretty pretty awful. They used to have some really cool characters, but they, they, as a you know as a as a solo faction, they used to be really really awful. Um, and now they're in a spot where they're they're actually quite good, uh, and mm. because of that, it's almost like um, you you lose any incentive to want to you know to soup up and to you know to take different things because realistically, you're kind of better off just playing Harlequins or Harlequins exactly. and Drakari. I, I see very few opportunities to um, to really bring any craft worlds into that. What is interesting and what I do think there is some room for innovation with is, uh, is with Yanari. I think yeah, baby. that um, uh, you, you know, back when the – I'll talk about this year now because it doesn't actually matter anymore. But back when the um, the eight squads of 20 racks was a thing before it got FAQ'd out of uh, – WTC FAQ out of existence. We were talking about running this um this record list, and it just had no counter punch. And we were looking at bringing things like the incarn into that, or combat punch from other places. And we looked at stuff in Craft Worlds then. Uh, but what we sort of found was that just the um you know what you get out of adding Craft Worlds to Drakari Army is not very much. Drakari almost always want to be triple patrol to have all their CP, and if you don't want to do that, you want to bring Harlequins in, but I can't see a world where you give up the massive amount of CP you get from being three patrols in Drakari by taking something from Craftworlds, which is probably not going to do the same sort of job that uh, that more choices out of Drakari would uh, would give you. So I think until Craftworlds get buffed, uh, we're not going to see Harlow, sorry uh, uh, Eldari as a you know as a super faction really performing uh, as well as they you know as well as the other super factions are going to be doing.
1: Well, I suppose because they used to make up like your stable core. You'd have your stable core of uh, craft worlds, be that like uh, Guardian Bombs, a bunch of Dire Avengers, but you'd have the stability and the reliability in things like Dark Reapers, Shining Spears, Wave Serpents, um, Hell, even like Night Spinners and, and Fire Prisms. And then you'd have your fringe stuff to add in the tech in the the Dark Elder and the Harlequins. But as soon as you pivot that into like saying, oh, well, now that, that stable core has to be the, the good reliable stuff and the good reliable stuff comes from Harlequins and then you're like, yeah, you add in your patrol of harlequins, and you're like, I guess I'm just playing harlequins now mm, because yeah. there's no real, there's no real tech or exciting tech options to bring in from the others, is there? That that's it.
3: And look, I, I used to, and you know, I, I used to play a lot of drakari, and I had a lot of fun adding things like, um, like fire dragons into the old drakari army. I back when blaster Trueborn were kind of the meta anti tank choice. Um, Yeesh. that's like, like middle of six that, yeah. Yeah, this is we're going we're going back a few years here. I'm showing my age a little bit, but like back when they were kind of meta, I thought that was kind of cool. But once Allies came into the game, you used to be able to put like fire dragons in a raider and then deep strike the raider and shoot fire dragons out of it. I, thought oh, that no, was amazing. I remember that. Um, and obviously, yeah, I know it was so good. Right? Um,
1: I, me- but, I remember.
3: <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's one of those things, right? Where um, that that sort of stuff is great, but Craft Worlds needs to be good to, uh, you know. To do it like Worlds needs to be good because it provides so much of the, um, you know, the the base. It, it, it's like the stock in a soup, you know. Craft. I think craftwolds needs to be good in the same way that demons or CSM kind of need to be good for, um, you know, for for chaos soup to be uh to be powerful.
1: No, yeah, I think that's a good point. I did like that you talked about Yunari, because I do think Yunnari is the unexplored portion of the Eldari superfaction. They are really. They have a lot of stuff that, you know, that Eldar can't get anywhere else. It's just, it's, it's an awkward thing to make work. Like you said, trying to mesh Harlequins and Dark Eldar together is an awkward thing to make work, and that's the only pairing that kind of makes sense right now.
3: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think, and look, J- Jeremy's actually a, a more recent Eldar player than myself, so I'm sure he'll have some thoughts on this, but that's kind of where I see Eldar as a super faction uh, right now.
2: Hmm. Just- yeah i agree. I think matt covered it really well i think like we already know that harlequins are, are very powerful that they can soup in you know um like gus um uh on the weekend he had uh harley's with just a little bit a little like pinch of Eldar. he had a Farcia that had like executioner which was just nice a nice little tech choice um in his list but as far as like a proper Eldar suit i don't think we're going to see that for a while um you know, outside of like the already existing archetype of Harlequins and Dracari, um, for the reason being that just Eldar have been superseded on every front, everything that they used to be good at. Mm. They're just, they're, they're the back of the pack with, you know, like they're no longer the most, they, they, yeah. they, like they used to, this wave serpents used to have this unique rule with, with minus one damage. Wave serpents are now like 160 points for like just a, a you know, a flying, just, just the flying box. um, <laughs> you know, a flying deodorant can. And it's just like, cool. So, but there's so many other ways for other armies to get that on, on more relevant platforms. Um, their flyers that were quite survivable with negative two or negative three to hit that they, they can only get the negative one now. Um, you know, the damage that they used to be able to put out with weapons like, you know, uh like shining spears, um, you know, their the, the Eldar flyer weapons like their pulse lasers and bright lances and stuff, just are really Really hurt by things like inner circle, things like negative one damage, all these different mechanics in the game that yeah. really hurt them. Um, so, the only thing I, I think that could happen to, to really help uh, Eldari outside, sorry, um, Assyriani outside of a new codex would be points reductions on the things that are actually competitively unique in their list. Like I think um, Night Spinners, Night Spinners are actually pretty interesting. Um, so are Shadow Weaver weapons platforms, even D-Cannon weapons platforms are pretty interesting because they do something that's unique for, for Elder. And if they can get solid yeah. points reductions on D-Cannon platforms, um, Shadow Weavers could go down five points. Night Spinners could go down 20, 25 points. If those things happen, we could see that list emerge where you kind of lean on the, the out-of-line-of-sight style shooting that's this really strong basis. Even Guardians could afford to go down another point. Um, and then you could say, okay, oh, I'm sure. going to take a bunch of guardians. I'm going to give them protect. I'm going to give them a four up involves to shooting. Now I've got in, guardians with three up involves that are screening really relevant, out of line of sight, and efficient shooting with expert crafters. Like that's actually an archetype that could work if they get some points reductions. But it's at the moment just isn't. It's obviously not the case.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, so I, I there was a, a statement that was said a lot about tyrannies prior to them getting this little. Kind of love letter from Forge World. And that was that they were a faction with really good rules, but no good data sheets, no good units to, to make use of them. Like they had incredible rules, incredible stratagems, incredible everything except kind of relics, the trash relics. Um, but everything else is just really powerful. Um, and you, but you just have no good units to use them on. I feel like Craft Worlds is the same. Like, I mean, you've got, you've got it. So they have, they have some of the best weapons in the game and no good platforms for them. Like the Knight Spinner done is fantastic but there's no the platform is too expensive and not only is it too expensive it's too easy to kill for what for how many points it is same can be said for things like star cannons you want to talk about a gun that would be incredible in the meta right now it's probably a star cannon but none of the platforms are worth taking it on yeah they're just too expensive and too easy to
3: kill yeah i i I, I agree with jez i I think points costs are a bigger problem more than anything else wave serpents would still be sick they're a bit cheaper Dark Reapers would still be sticking for a bit cheaper. Shining Spears would be absolutely dominating the meta if they were, you know, I don't know ten, 10 points cheaper per model, right? Like, you know, that, that, maybe that's not where they should go. I'm not, I'm not sure what a fair price is for, for a unit of Shining Spears, but um, I think points costs are a bigger problem for craft worlds than, uh, than actual rules and you know and data sheets and stratagems. So it's a great yeah. toolboxy army. It's just the units, you know, you don't have enough stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, exactly right. They always feel like they're one or two units shy of a well-rounded it's really list. Weird, but... you,
3: you think of shining. Sorry, you go, Matt. Sorry, you go. Well, you think of shining spears, right? And they're so expensive, and they kind of do the same thing that Repentia do for sixteen points a model. They spin <laughs> yeah, across the board man. and they go and they charge and they fight. And the Repentia arguably fight better with you know the way that their stratagems work. And
1: hundred well, percent they fight better?
3: I don't know. And those those units obviously they're not as tough. You know, you don't have an X arc with the two plus involved in shooting. You've got a you know, a chick with no clothes on with a six plus so But uh, you do have, uh, you know, a 16 point model that kind of does the same thing. Um, mm. And it feels bad. And the same can be said for Retributors, right? Retributors are so good when you compare them to Dark Reapers. Obviously they can't fire and fade into a transport and things like that, but they're still, like they're a lot cheaper. You know, you get 12 multi-melter shots out of a five man unit that costs, what is it, 155 points with the Cherub's? What do you get for that? You get four Dark Reapers? Do you get five do you, you maybe get five? Man, th- those yeah. retributors shoot a whole lot harder than those uh, those four Dark Reapers, I tell you that. And yeah. Dark yeah, Dark Reapers also lost a lot with the change to negatives to hit because so the hitting on threes all the time was great before and now it could never be worse than fours anyway. So that's sort of yeah. Yeah, that's another thing there.
1: Yeah, it's like they're constantly a plus one hit no matter what you do, and that's all the, all they will ever yeah. be. But yeah, I 100% agree. You, you both make incredibly good points. Um, drifting off from a different faction there, I want to talk a little bit about Tau. So Tau's another one where I think is that when you said they're being held held back by their points, Tau's one that I think unequivocally is being held back by their rules, yeah? fact that they, they're they a shooting army they can't fall back and shoot. They are... Um, an army that needs drones, but drones just don't work like they used to. And uh, so, and points wise, drones are drones have been priced out of being a cornerstone of the list. Where are they at? Do they have any ability to innovate? Do we have any fringe bills that could come back into relevance?
2: I'll let you go, Jez. You you know more about yeah, town than yeah, I do. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Well, we we were looking at town. When I say we, I mean a, a little a little uh, four man team that was was innovating for um, the that Gladiator Gaming event that that we couldn't go to uh, due to a lockdown, but. Uh, we, were, we actually looked at tau, uh, Lee Abbey and myself. Um, we had a look at tau. We spent quite a long a long time looking at tau, and they, as you said, Matt, uh, sorry adam, they they, are, they have great units. Um, they just held back by rules, and like broadsides are, are really powerful in the metagame, um, but the problem was, and obviously their drones are in this weird spot where they're like cost 20 points now, which is weird and ridiculous. but if we just ignore that that point um just the fact that they can't fall back and shoot, even on their like crisis suits and rip tides and stuff. Um, yeah. And I was going to say the same thing with the Eldar with how expensive their points are. I think both of these like situations where you have Eldar with awesome rules and ridiculous points and Tau with, with great units, but ridiculous and bad rules. I think it shows a disconnect between what I'm going to say. I don't have any information to say this. And, and, you know, I just, it's what to me resonates inside myself that GW must be, they must be uh, overruling the play testers because the play testers would without, without, it goes without saying that they would definitively be telling GW that, that um, the town need an FAQ mm-hmm. with just a little stratagem, just give them one stratagem to let them fall back and shoot. Like it's not that hard.
1: Well, so yeah, they threw They threw them the bone, which clarified that with modcar you can fall back and shoot, but there are so many tower bills that don't, that are built around carry that. It's just a huge shift. You, you, you're either playing fast sight, and therefore you have the mon, you have two mon cars from, and, and then you take in a very expensive, not that good far sight for two mon cars, um, and then you can do it twice per game that your opponent can easily force you to do, or predict. Um, it's just it's just not good enough. Like, a, you, you're right in saying that like they need a rules adjustment in an FAQ, but like it's a wholesale. The whole book is built off false metrics. It's built off rules that don't function. It makes no sense. Um and yeah. Not sure. It's just. Yeah, I'm, I'm, hmm. I mean, like you, you, the call on the 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 overruling. Over, I'm not sure we can talk about the overruling just bit much. It's a bit controversial and probably outside our purview. But uh, yeah, look, they, it's obvious that they they either they must have a complete rewrite in the works. Yeah, surely well, this this yeah, that indicates yes. that they're rewriting the whole so, thing fundamentally, right?
3: I, I think um I think Tao are a victim of the addition more than they are a victim of their own rules. I think that the changes. Tonight's edition were great for armies like Sisters and Custodes. Uh, you know there, there are armies that have done really, really well out of this new edition. Um, like S- Sisters aren't good because their rules change. Sisters are good because there were changes to weapon profiles that made a lot of their guns better than they were before. And Custodes are good because of the way the changes to the way that missions are played. But Tower kind of the opposite, where they were taking advantage of, you know, all these rules they had access to before, and the way they interacted with them. They just don't have that anymore. So I, I actually don't think the Tower book is the problem. I, I think the edition is the problem for Tower. I think just the rules that we're yeah. playing is uh, is more of an issue than um, yeah than uh, the actual you know, than the actual rules they're playing by.
1: So let's let's um, pivot from talking about the negatives and talk about some positives for a couple of minutes before we we sign out. What can Tao have a are a lot a much a much deeper faction like and a bit, especially a model range that people look at. People jump into Tau and they go, "Oh, Big Mech! Oh, I like Gundam! rah, 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 rah. Whereas it it I feel like they have they're in a great position to do things like have a a good infantry mech build, you know, devil, like Fisher Fury, um, options to have a lot of things that outflank, a lot of MSU that outflank Deep Strike and play not as good as what I guess the Dracari's playing at right now, but they can do a lot of crazy janky little things with small suit units or, (laughs) God forbid, Vespid and things of that ilk to get points and to score. But I think it just hurts that all their best bits, all the things that you would want to play as a tower player don't function. I think that's what's hurting people the most. Because I, I do think there are there are alternative builds. But do you guys see any of that as being viable?
2: I think, yeah, the, the most viable build at the moment probably is Fish of Fury, like just lots of like devilfish with with fire warriors and and taking the buffs on the fire warriors, like your fire blades and and um, probably dark strider as well. Because yeah. Dark Dark Strider does let you I mean he does let you fall back and shoot. Um specifically exactly right. for like fire warriors and breaches. So, like, if you're running that archetype, yes. Like, I think that's actually probably the the only tower archetype that works. The problem with that, though, is that this addition, as Matt said, and I think Matt made a really good point, was that this addition is, is, you know, the the way it's played on primary, you you need to be able to deny your opponent's primary. And and really, to be able to do that effectively, you need to be able to assault because very often people will hide stuff out of line of sight that on their objective. So in order to get in there and deny their primary, you need to threaten to assault them. Tau can't do that almost at all. Like, there's, like, some really narrow way that Tau can do that. Um, so primarily the way Tau does that is through out-of-line-of-sight shooting. But then that, that's, like, your broadsides. Um, and unfortunately, the broadsides are, are most hurt by the no fallback and shoot rule. But they always they always yeah, have no, that I'll rule, f- to be fair. But, um, I, I mean, I think that there could be a look. There could be a way to build Tau in a way that you've, you kind of run Fisher Fury, and then you have like a unit of broadsides that you could use CNC node on and use that to try to outblast mm. out things that you can't see. I just don't think I think you're pushing, you're really pushing stuff uphill. Um what? oh for sure. But I don't know, like it could you know you never know though. Like something like that. If someone if you set up a Fisher Fury list with like, you know, four or five devil fish, a bunch of fire warriors, like eighty or eighty to hundred fire warriors, all the support characters, um, a unit of broadsides and some drones that you can hide so that that You know, if they shoot the broadsides, you take it on the two-op saves unless you need the the drone support. That could be a good list that might catch people off guard, but it's one of those examples where as soon as people calibrate a little bit for what you you can do, you're just done. As soon as they, you know, and and even into the metagame of 2 up saves,
1: I just don't think you're going to do anything. I was about to say, all it takes is one guy on one bastard with a storm shield, and there's no no amount of SMS that's going to dislodge that unit, like, Trying to imagine trying to kill like blade guard versions with SMS, you just like oh, it's cringe. revolting. Hmm. Not anything bad. to add on that point.
3: No, I think Jez uh, has built really well on this topic. I think um, I, I think communally we've sort of said everything I'd want to say about it. <laughs> I, I think we've sort of yeah. we've I think we've covered it off really really well here.
1: Yeah, brilliant. So we're going to pivot into. I suppose we're, we're a little bit more negative than maybe I thought we we might be, but uh, I suppose that's just the state of the game at the moment, especially with inclusions of things like. Um, Death Guard and Dark Angels becoming such polarizing elements. So in part two, we're gonna we're gonna be a bit more positive. There, we're gonna actually sit back and we're gonna write lists for our patrons for the wonky, skewed, whatever they feel like stuff that they want us to try and write. We're gonna we're gonna talk shop. We're gonna talk list construction from fundamental levels based on. Probably false metrics, probably whatever wacky ideas they think they might want to see if we can make work, and we're going to do our best to make them function for them. Um, so please jump over and join us on that if you so please. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. Um, <laughs> the whole bit about the playtest one, that girl we have, guard, jazz. I was like, is he joking? Is he real? And I'm like, holy crap, he's being serious. <laughs> I've got no idea how to take that. Uh, so good, so good always x factor um so yeah please hopefully you've enjoyed this one please jump over to patreon and the art of war 40k.com and support us in any way you means or please uh but please thank you know that uh, i'm very grateful for your support so it's my good man uh matt and jez thank you so much for joining us gentlemen hope you've enjoyed this as well we're going to go and record part two now if you were a member of the patron and you chucked up a list idea fingers crossed let's see what we do with it all right take care guys good night see guys. and see you the next one